Mark chapter 8, verse 1. I'm going to read all the way through verse 21. I heard that Tracy did a great job last week. Tracy, I, I don't like having to follow you, but here we are. Um, they say that uh, an old pastor, John Bassanio, by the way, told me this, said, you know, when you leave town, you should have somebody speak that's not as good as you are, that's not very good, so that way when you get back, they're very grateful for who you are. Um, I, d- I did that all wrong this past month, so I, next time we're going to... Uh, We're going to change that up a little bit. I I don't like having to follow that, but hey, Mark 8, 1. During those days, another large crowd had gathered. Since they had nothing to eat, Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion for these people. Middle of nowhere, there was no restaurant, there's no grocery store. They've been with him now and there's no food. And Jesus has compassion for these people. They have already been with me three days and have nothing to eat. If I send them home hungry, they will collapse on the way. Understand, this is super dangerous, what he's talking about. If you haven't had food and you're out in the heat, and it's, this is a dangerous thing. If I send them home, they're gonna collapse on the way because some of them have come a long distance. And his disciples answered, but where in this remote place can anyone get enough bread to feed them? How many loaves do you have, Jesus asked. By the way, if you're thinking, didn't we already cover this with Jay Austin? Like, This is the second time when Jesus has done this. This is a little bit of a deja vu in scripture. Seven, they replied. He told the crowd to sit down on the ground. When he had taken the seven loaves and given thanks, he broke them and gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people, and they did so. They had a few small fish as well, so he gave thanks for them also and told the disciples to distribute them. And we, uh, in Uganda last week, we fed somewhere around a thousand people. The logistics of this are kind of a nightmare, right? When you've got a thousand people, and by the way, scripture, they teach that this is just the men, it doesn't count the women and the children. Like, I can't even imagine. We had a thousand or so people, and like half of them were children last week. So, I mean, in a culture like this, we're talking lots of babies, lots of littles out there eating. So this is a humongous miracle. So the people ate, verse eight, and they were satisfied. Afterward, the disciples picked up seven basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. About 4,000 were present, and after he sent them away, he got into the boat with his disciples and began to the region of Dalmanutha. The Pharisees came and began to question Jesus, to test him. They asked him for a sign from heaven. He sighed deeply and said, why does this generation ask for a a sign? Truly, I tell you, there will be no sign given to it. And then he uh, left them and got back into the boat and crossed to the other side. The disciples, verse 14, had forgotten to bring bread except for one loaf they had with them in the boat. And Jesus says this, verse 15, be careful, watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees and that of Herod. They discussed this with one another and said, is it because we have no bread? Like it's because we've got no bread. And Jesus, aware of their discussion, asked them, why are you talking about having no bread? Are you idiots? Do you still not see or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Do you have eyes but fail to see and ears but fail to hear? And and don't you remember when I broke the five loaves For the 5,000, how many basketfuls did you pick up? And 12, they replied. And when I broke the seven loaves for the 4,000, how many? And they said, you know, seven. And and he said to them, do you still not understand? Now, I'm going to be full disclosure. For most of my life, when I read that passage, and he says, do you still not understand? I would be one of the one over sheepishly 
I actually don't understand, Jesus. I actually don't know what you're talking about. If you could make that a little more clear for me. And so if that's you this morning, you're not alone. And Jesus was saying something that's potent that I will not be able to fully cover today. Uh, we'll touch it on at the mission summit and then maybe the week after. But there's something here. When you talk about the, the yeast of the Pharisees and the yeast of Herod, beware of those. You couldn't have more opposite spectrums. It would be like, beware of the yeast of some radical right-wing conservative and the, and the yeast of some radical left-wing progressive. Beware of the yeast of both of those. Do you still not understand? Like, right? So let's pray. And then I want to share what I think the Lord is, is saying to uh, them then and us today. Jesus, you're so kind to us. Your compassion is so amazing. You had compassion on the people that were present that day and your compassion is still there today for us. And I'm super grateful for that. I pray that you'll be with me today as I, in the, just the few minutes I have to be able to bring this word that you will, uh, in spite of me, in, instead of me, that you will speak to each of us today. It's in your name, Jesus, that we pray. Amen. It was Dietrich Bonhoeffer that said, we must learn to regard people less in light of what they do or omit to do and more in light of what they suffer. He was speaking, and obviously, if you know Bonhoeffer, he's, he's no you know, lightweight when it comes to theology. He's not suggesting that there's room in theology. He's suggesting that instead of saying, you get it right and you get it wrong, and that's how I'm going to view the whole thing, it's, hey, but what did you suffer? What have you been through? And Jesus had looked at these people and saw that they were suffering. Now, quick note, when uh, Jesus fed the 5,000, okay, that was on the Jewish side of the lake, Okay? The disciples had no problem with that. There are people. God had come for the, for the Jews. It's the whole thing, and, and Tracy dealt a little bit last week with you know, the dogs and the crumbs. and the, That was the culture they were in. And so this is the opposite side of the lake. Okay? The left side of the lake. The near the wells, the Gentiles, the gross people, the Gadarenes. It was gross. So when... They're talking about feeding people here. Is it possible that the disciples had forgotten that Jesus could work this miracle? Or is it more possible that they thought, well, he wouldn't do that for 4,000 Gentiles? Gross. So it is a deja vu, but it's different. Because this is a group of people that didn't fit the definition of who they thought Jesus should be loving or blessing or reaching out to. Or in his case here, he looked upon them and he had compassion on them. And I got to tell you, it's not just our culture. I just came back from Western, uh, Eastern Africa, Western Uganda, and what's happening over there right now is Chinese companies are investing heavily in Uganda. And by investing, I mean they're loaning a bunch of money to Uganda so that they can build roads with Chinese companies. And now Uganda, Kenya, there's a whole geopolitical thing happening. But beneath the geopolitical nonsense, you would drive by and you would see a, a, a Chinese guy with a company treating the Ugandan people who were working for him like a piece of property. Like no compassion at all. 
Compassion isn't something I think that comes naturally to us as humans. Human history is replete with people who had no compassion, which is why I think that compassion isn't something that Jesus invites us to. The Bible doesn't invite us. Think about being compassionate. It commands us to be compassionate. There's so many scriptures, and I just have a couple of them, but you can go home and read these and and see that the word is full of this. Ephesians 4, 32, because of the Lord's great love, you're not consumed because his compassion will never fail. Finally, 1 Peter 3, 8 says, you be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another. Listen, be compassionate one to another. Therefore, verse uh, 12, Colossians 3, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion. And I could go on. I've got multiple verses here, but understand that Jesus is, what he's doing here is being compassionate. And Luke 6, 36 says, hey, as your heavenly father is merciful, be merciful. How do you want to be merciful? How do you want to be compassionate? The way that your father is compassionate. And what I see here in just these, the first few verses is Jesus is galvanized by his compassion. He is moved by his compassion. He is guided by his spirit, the Holy Spirit, and he is guarded by the word. And those are the three things that we'll touch on today of what it means, because I think there's a playbook that Jesus demonstrates for us that whether I'm in Africa, whether I'm in Guatemala, or whether I am in the College Grove market, that compassion is something that is commanded of me, not an option that I should think whether or not this is a command for us. So Jesus, it says here, I have compassion, verse two, for these people. And the word for compassion in the Greek, I don't even want to try to attempt it because I might accidentally cuss, but it's it's a long word that perhaps if I had gone to seminary, I could pronounce, but I didn't, and so here we are. You get what you pay for. Um, But (laughs) the word is, I swear I'm not making this up, and for those of us who just got back from Uganda and might be on Cipro this morning, to be moved as to one's bowels. (laughs) I swear I'm not making this up. Hence, to be moved with compassion and have compassion for the bowels were thought to be the seat of joy and love. In the Jewish culture, they didn't like, can you imagine all those journey songs talking about your heart and whatever and replace it with your colon? Because in their culture, don't stop believing, baby. (laughs) Um, In their culture, they thought of love as coming from your gut, not from your heart. And if you think about it, it makes perfect sense when someone you love has died, we say it felt like a kick in the gut, right? It just hits you in this lower level. And that's the word here that he's saying. It's moved by compassion, a move that makes you, and look, there was a couple moments this week where I was moved, if you know what I'm saying. And by moved, I'm like, I got to find a bathroom right now. And those of you that have traveled, you know what I'm talking about. Like, this is not the bathroom I'm looking for, but it's the bathroom I've got, so here we go. But there's an urgency and an action that's attached to this, and as crass as that is for this early on a Sunday morning, that's what compassion is. It moves you to do something to the point where I can't not do something about this. Jesus was moved by compassion. 
and in our culture, I think that we could all stand a little more compassion right now. Whether it's on the internet, whether it's on your favorite, and I use the word news very loosely, very recent news thing, we could all use some compassion. And the compassion, it's not intuitive, it doesn't come natural to us, because I'd rather be right than to recognize maybe where you are and what you're going through. But there's something about proximity. I'm, I'm reading a book right now called True Justice by a guy named Brian Stevenson who works for the Equal Justice Initiative in Alabama. And the stories of heartbreaking, heart-wrenching racism of men that have been executed who were later proven innocent. That there's things that have happened there in, in the that I don't understand because I'm a white kid from Nebraska. I had no proximity to those. And he spoke of what it felt like to, the compassion came because I was in proximity to this suffering. And what did Jesus say? I've been with them for three days. I have compassion for them. It's not a book. It's not a statistic. It's not a number. It's not a TV show. I'm going to slaughter this, um, no pun intended, um, but I think it was Stalin that said that one, uh, one million deaths, no, one death is a tragedy, one million deaths is a statistic. Am I getting that right for my scholars in here? What he's saying is that you kill one person, is a tragedy, but if I kill a million of them, then I don't have to think about it anymore because it's just a statistic at that point. And Jesus was in proximity to these people who everyone on the other side of the lake looked at and thought were gross and disgusting. And he's with proximity and says, I have compassion on them. There's things that happen, Amanda, when you go and you spend time with those women, you, the proximity to them, that even seeing it on a video this morning, it might've, it might've stirred our hearts, but there's something when you sit across the table from someone and get to know them in that proximity that it raises compassion in us. And I think, man, Jesus over and over again, he commands us to go, he commands us. So sometimes we go, like you all didn't know what you were gonna do before you got there, you just went, and as you went, you saw people had compassion and were moved towards that. The obedience of Jesus sometimes is just to go, moved by that towards, and then when you get there, whenever you're going, you'll encounter and be looking for those moments because those moments will move you toward action. Just to put it differently, in our culture, there's a lot of talk about empathy right now. You get, you get Brene Brown and empathy, and empathy and compassion are not the same thing. Empathy is me taking on your feelings, and it's not, empathy is not a bad thing, by the way. Empathy is I feel what you're feeling, but empathy is a... Uh, passive thing. Compassion is a proactive thing. If I just have empathy for you and I don't do anything about it, I could actually burn myself out taking on your feelings. That happens a lot in, in mission work. It happens a lot with working at Place of Hope. The folks there that some of them make it and some of them don't and I'm feeling it. And I, but Jesus wasn't moved by empathy. He was moved by compassion. To put it differently, empathy is feeling your feelings. Compassion is feeling for you right? If, if, empathy is not a bad thing. I think we could use some of that as well. But Jesus wasn't moved by that. He was moved by compassion because it moved him to do something about what he saw. It was his proximity to them. And I would say in addition to that, that his perception of them helped the disciples see. 
I've seen a lot of things in my life and I didn't feel compassion. I've been, if you've grown up in a small town, you see these people and they're just who they are and that's the town drunk and that's the crazy one and that's the, you know. So I don't feel compassion just because of proximity. I also need to see Jesus's perception of who they are. Not my perception, but how does Jesus see them? How does Jesus see these people, these Gentiles, these Gadarenes, this demoniac, he saw them as someone that he wanted to seek and to save. We've said it here, but there's only two kinds of people in the world, those who are saved and those who Jesus wants to save. He's come to seek and save all of us, you and everybody else. And to see the perception of how Jesus sees them, pray for that, that he would show you how he sees them, how he sees even your enemies because they were people that were lost. And it says, I think it's Luke 6, 36, when it says that he had compassion on them. Why did he have compassion? Because they were hungry. It says, no, he had compassion on them because he saw them as sheep without a shepherd. He saw them in a way that wasn't just a bunch of gadarenes. It was, and if you've ever been around sheep, you know that sheep need protection. They need someone to lead them. They need, and so sheep without that are nothing but at risk of being slaughtered by the beasts and the wild animals. He saw them. He saw them the same way he sees you, which was a sheep without a shepherd, and he wanted to be their shepherd to keep them safe. He saw them differently than what the disciples saw them. Compassion is not about being sad, by the way. I think it's far more attached to anger than it is sadness. He saw them as sheep without a shepherd. I mean, Rob says, I want to go do street justice, right, in Guatemala, because you're angry. If you're not angry, there's something wrong with you. But anger leads to passion, to doing something about it. And when Jesus saw that they were like sheep without a shepherd... He wanted to do something about it. And he fed them bread. He would be the bread of life. And that's kind of what we're going to talk about in the coming weeks is there's this whole meaning of what he's doing to both the Jews and the Gentiles. Everybody, he came for all of them. So compassion, he was moved by compassion. And my invitation to you this morning is to put yourself in proximity to somebody, to somebody's. You can't have compassion on a what, you have compassion on a who. And allow the Lord to show you, spend time with them, to show you his perception of them and see what that compassion will do in you to drive you to do something about what's happening in their lives. And I gotta tell you, I can't think of a better thing for our church to be known for. I don't think we are yet, but I want to be. It's an aspirational goal as a compassionate church. We're known as radically generous. We're known as the missionary church. Every once in a while, we'll get an email. It's been a while, but hey, you guys are kind of a mission church. We're looking for more of a family church. Like, don't ever say that out loud, by the way. You shouldn't say that out loud. Um, but you know what I'm saying? Like, I think that's not how you meant that. But, um, but I want to be known as a, as a compassionate church, as moved by compassion towards what he's got for us. He was moved by compassion, but he was guided by the Holy Spirit. There's nothing that Jesus did on earth that he said that I only do what the Father says to do and to say. There's multiple times in the New Testament where he would sit led by the Holy Spirit, moved by the Spirit, he went here. Jesus didn't do anything that the Father didn't tell him to do. And why do I say that this morning? 
because this world is so full of need. You'll run out of money long before the world runs out of need. There, there are too many things that you can't do by yourself. Now notice what these guys, Jesus made the bread, he made the miracle, but the disciples distributed the bread, okay? They were conduits of his compassion. If you look over in the scripture, there are moments where Jesus walked by people, the pool of Bethesda being one, where he healed one person. What about the others? He only did what the father said to do. He was on the earth for, think about this, 30 years before he did his first miracle. How many sick people did he walk by then? How many hungry people? He only did what the father said to do. And to tell you that, because you can become so overwhelmed and so burned out with all this need and that I've got to do something about it. I'm making myself their savior and not him by allowing the Holy Spirit to lead you. Because look, if everybody's passionate about Uganda, because I'm passionate about it, and now everybody's got to be passionate about that, who goes to Guatemala? Who goes to Togo? Right? Who goes to Haiti? Who? The Lord will put inside of you, the Holy Spirit will tell you, this compassion that you have, I want you to do something about this, and I would like them to do something about that. Allow the Spirit to lead you, and I promise you, He's gonna lead you into some awesome adventures. And you know what? Look, if it's not to start a ministry, I don't know, maybe we do. I don't know that we need any more 501c3s in the world. I think we just need more people to be Jesus to the people in front of them. And if that leads to something, I mean, it was cool to see last week in Uganda. I'm not gonna lie. I was like, I looked at one point and I said to David, you know, take this in and drink it in a moment. Because there's 20 people from the United States, we're at church plant number five, and all this was because we said yes to this thing, but we didn't see any of that back then. And the fact of the matter is, is if it just was still the same 15 kids in Haiti that we started with 15 years ago, it's okay. It's okay if it's just your mother-in-law that you're caring for right now who's in dementia. It's okay if it's a family member. It's okay. It's, what, it's okay to do what the Holy Spirit leads you to do. Not to feel this pressure and this tyranny of this unattainable thing. And if I can't do it big, it's not worth doing at all. That is a purely American ideal. It's nothing to do with the Bible. To have the freedom to say that, you know what, maybe for this season I'm working this job. I mean, Jeff and Erica didn't mean to move back to Evansville. That's just what happened. The door opened. I promise you there's a, a mission that God has for you there. Just say yes to whatever the Holy Spirit is asking you to do. And by the way, if you don't, because he was led by the Spirit, he wasn't led by guilt or shame, but he also wasn't led by how much provision he had. I think that's important for us to remember that sometimes you just got to start. Sometimes you just got to go. <laughs> and he'll figure it out when you get there. Jesus looked at those loaves and looks at those fish and says, well, we got enough. And you know what? If he only fed, you know, 400 people, would that have been a failure? Right? He, he just kept making it. As long as he keeps making it, you keep giving it away. That's all the disciples did. They just, when Jesus gave it to them, they gave it away. And I can't think of a better definition of Christianity than that. He gives you this and you give it away. He gives you this and you give it away. Also known as being a conduit, by the way. It's just a hose that trusts that as long as I keep the, the faucet on, that the provision will keep coming. And we talk about that here from time to time at this church. Jesus is the pastor of this church. If he stops funding it, that's his business. 
I don't take that pressure on. And those days when I do, I shake it off because it's not my job. My job is to stay attached to the vine and let him provide the rest. Let him lead to where you're supposed to go. That compassion that he has in there, let it rise up and let it move you and then let the Holy Spirit guide you and don't miss this because they weren't just guided by the Spirit. He was guarded by the word of God. When he says, beware of the feast of uh, the yeast of the Pharisees and of Herod, Jesus was being guarded by the word of God because the politics of his day said, don't feed those people. They're gross. Now, keeping in mind, every one of these Pharisees would have read the genealogy that maybe they didn't know it led up to Jesus, but before it ever got to David, how many Gentiles are in the bloodline of their king, David? Rahab the harlot, Tamar, even Bathsheba had married Uriah the Hittite. The gospel was meant for the whole world, not just for the Jewish people, but they said they can't have it. So if you're guarded by the politics of the day, Jesus would have never touched these people. And by the way, when he did touch these people, it made them angry, and it's some of why he was crucified. It wasn't a popular move. He wasn't guarded by the politics of the day. He was guarded by the word of God. And for us, doesn't it feel hard sometimes to know what you can say about this or can't do about that because I'm gonna get eviscerated from one side or the other? We were joking this morning. I probably get maybe two to three emails a month from somebody that thinks I'm a raging liberal and somebody that thinks I'm a raging conservative and they're all mad. And if I weighed my life by that voice, I would be constantly like you're shooting at my feet and I'm over here trying to do the dance, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> but I constantly, I have to keep going back to the word of God. And here's what I, I noticed this week and I wanna say this carefully. But in the Bible, over and again, and by the way, if you don't see this by now, caring for the poor, for the orphan, for the widow, for the oppressed, for the powerful, the scripture is permeating with that. And about half of the time, it's referred to as justice. And the other half of the time, it's referred to as mercy. When the good Samaritan, I think it's Luke 10, it was Jesus, the, the, the lawyer said, which one showed mercy? And though he showed mercy, that is referred to as an act of mercy. But in Many other passages in Micah, Isaiah 58, it's referred to as loosening the chains of injustice. It's about justice. Now think with me, in our political climate as it stands right now, on the radical left, the progressive side of the aisle, the liberal side, it's about justice. On the right side of the aisle, it's about mercy. And when I say on the right side, you know, they have little words like social justice warrior and it's meant as a pejorative. Like they look at that as like, because if it's justice, then I'm being forced to do this and I don't want any part of that. But on the other side, if I say it's mercy, then it's me being condescending to them and they, they need, you know, they just need these better systems to be in place. And here's the thing, honest to God, both sides of the aisle are kind of right, but neither will listen to each other because one of them's trying to solve it this way and the other's trying to solve it that way. And the Bible says it's not either or, it's both. It's mercy and justice. So if my 
political belief falls too closely into one and it you know, eliminates the other, then the closer I get to the middle is where the Bible lands because the Bible speaks of justice and mercy. What, what Jim, you're doing in Haiti, Jim Zielinski, if you guys don't know Jim, you gotta meet Jim. They're helping children on this little island that I don't even wanna go to because you gotta take a bush pilot every time he goes to Haiti. Like he's not there when you get to Port-au-Prince. You gotta fly over this little... Those are children who need mercy. And on the other side of that coin, what's happening in their culture right now, in their government system, is unjust, it's unfair. They need justice and mercy. Not either or, but both and. And so if I'm guarded by politics, I pick a side. If I'm guarded by the word of God, I say we, we work with both. And it's why the church is so desperately needed. It's why it's all hands on deck. It's why when James chapter two, he says, you show me faith without works. And, and of course, it's the big debate, right? That, is it faith or is it works? Or, or maybe it's just faith that works. Maybe it's just that he's loved you so much. And I think it was um, a Tim Keller quote when he spoke of that specific passage. I'm gonna butcher it. But Tim Keller, when he spoke of that passage, he said that it was, I'm gonna butcher it, I can't remember it. I'm gonna come back to it. Full disclosure, my laptop died at three this morning. So that's a good quote, I'll post it if I can't remember it. <laughs> it was really good. <laughs> I made it about Haiti and it didn't make any of you mad. There was an article this week in the Atlantic and it was talking about why the urban development, why the urban renewal in America, uh, the one thing, uh, rebirth of the urban is that doesn't have is births. That's the, the basic premise of the article. In the East Nashvilles, in the cities of the world, the rebirth of those areas is not including actual births. And the reason is, is because young people go there and they have their kids, and then they're like, well, this is actually hard to raise a kid in this part, so they move back to the suburbs again. Some of you probably know somebody, or somebody's, or maybe someone like you did that. Now, put yourself in the position of those that are in those schools that you might have been able to afford to move out of, to move out to the suburbs, and those that are left in those schools. It is inarguable that the education that they have access to is not the same as it is in Williamson County. It's not, it's not a debate. The results are in. And so if you're a child going to that, you don't have access to the same opportunities, you don't have access to the same benefit and the same quality of education maybe because you're busy just trying to not get killed on your way to school. The conservatives, we would say, it's because the family unit's broken down. We need more fathers, we need more parents. The liberals, that side would say, we need better schools. This is systemic. We need to throw more money at it. And both of them are inadequate responses because all we do is arguing about whose fault it is. And if you're five years old, it's not yours. And justice and mercy is what he promised us. And I could go on and on. I look at the lives of these unborn, the 50 million children, and I think, why isn't this so obvious that we should be doing this, that for justice and for mercy to be there? And yet, because I grew up as a white kid in Nebraska, I look at the criminal justice system, and I, I, don't, have, I don't have that in my, I don't know about that one. But the Bible would say we want, for all of these, all of them deserve that kind of treatment. Now look, we live in a fallen world. 
while I appreciate the enthusiasm of Bono, I don't think we'll ever see poverty alleviated completely in our world because there's too much deception, too much corruption, too much Satan. So call me a nihilist, I don't know. I just know that it's not gonna happen until Jesus returns and the government will be on his shoulders. But in the meantime, we have opportunities to have compassion, whether it's on a drunk or an addict in Columbia, Tennessee, whether it's on a young mother who doesn't know whether to keep or to abort her baby, whether it's on a woman who's being beat, whatever it is that God, let him show you that compassion, guide you by the spirit to where he wants you to be, and then keep it guarded by the word of God. Because there are some in our culture right now that would say it's an act of compassion to tell somebody, it's just how you're made, just be whatever you wanna do. It's your baby, it's your body, it's your choice. Those are the things that they would say, but that's not the word of God. We gotta keep the word of God to keep us in the middle. Either beware of the yeast of the Pharisees and of Herod. Luke 6.36 said the yeast was hypocrisy. Hypocrisy would be to say that. I'm concerned about the children at the border in cages, but I'm not concerned about the children in uh, the mother's womb or vice versa. Either one of those are the yeast of the Pharisees and of Herod. And he says, stay in the middle. And you, some of you right now, you just went, yeah, but. If your theology includes a yeah, but, go back to a yeah, but, okay, but God's word did say this. I can't yeah, but the theology, right? Is what it, did God say it or did he not, right? Compassion, it's the Latin word. Pati, come together. It's, it means suffer with you. That's what compassion, the, our word for compassion means to suffer with. And the only reason you and I can do what we are called to do, to be guided by the Spirit at all, is because Jesus himself didn't just have an act of compassion when he fed those people that day. His act of compassion, suffer with, was to become one of us. He was with them for three days. You think he wasn't hungry? You think he wasn't suffering with them? And his suffering had only just warmed up because ultimately he was going to suffer the ultimate suffering, a brutal death on a cross. And because he compassioned you, now we can compassion with others. That's the promise of the gospel. He has had great compassion on you. That's why you're not consumed. And we can look at others and know that he wants to have compassion on them as well. Even those I don't agree with, even those that I think are getting it wrong, that I can stand back and say, God, I have compassion on them. What am I supposed to do about it? Does this make sense? Good, because we went with completely without notes. So let's uh, stand to your feet. <laughs> Send your emails to mo at conduitchurch.com. <laughs> Heavenly Father, I pray that you will uh, bolster us. Lord, would you forgive us? Forgive me, Lord, for those moments where I wasn't compassionate. I could think of like 10 of those moments right now. Forgive me for those moments. Empower me by your spirit to continue to be compassionate not to burn myself out, but to be guided by your spirit and guarded by your word, just like you were, Jesus. And as long as you keep giving us the bread, we keep giving it away. 
in Jesus. We love you for that. We're so grateful that you were compassionate and you suffered with us. We love you so much. It's in your name. It's because of your name, in your name, that we would pray these things. Jesus, your name, Yeshua, the one who saves us, your name we pray. Amen. Amen.